My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. It's good to be able to have you guys with us. A special good morning to our newest senior citizen, uh, Barry Cole, who is turning 65 today. So uh, happy birthday to Barry. Uh, You don't look a day over 55. So there you go. Love you, brother. Um, If you got your Bibles, we're in uh, Mark chapter 10 this morning. Uh, I would encourage you to have a copy of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I'm, I'm geeking out this morning. I'm not going to read from this one, uh, but much like I recommend the uh, scripture uh, journals where you can take notes uh, and mark up, uh, mark up, mark, uh, and there's a full page uh, to take notes. I have recently gotten a Greek copy of uh, Mark's New Testament <clears throat> with the Greek on one side and the empty space on the other. So I am looking forward to using that. Uh, You can also go to OurSundaySchool.com and grab a copy of today's handout. Uh, Would encourage you to do that as well. Barry is laughing. Good. All right. I was hoping so. Uh, I am sure uh, Vicki will laugh uh, even more wholeheartedly at that this afternoon. So uh, I would strongly recommend that you grab a copy, though, of our handout today. Maybe several things I'm going to be making reference to and comparing one part of the handout to another part of the handout. So just FYI to that. So I will say good morning to some folks here. Let's see who all we've got with us this morning. Uh, Jessica has got room 206 up and running. Thanks so much for that, Jessica. Uh, the Barbers are here. Jay Arnold is here. Uh, yes, Dave, that's exactly what I did. Uh, Barry's in his man cave with a fireplace lit. So I don't know about how many of you guys have uh, are, are working from home and doing any type of, you know, you, uh, you will remote into some meeting and see everybody on the screen. That's kind of my working experience right now. But one of my coworkers, uh, he has a fireplace right next to his uh, video setup. And every time I'm on a call with him, it's just one of those, that's really nice. That looks so comfortable. So I, I kind of wish I could see you guys' setup this morning. I will tell you, since that we have since we've moved uh, our Sunday school into this room, obviously I, I said last week Julie and Caleb didn't want to uh, sit on the bed behind me. Uh, they, are in, uh, they are in bed this morning. So watching Sunday school, I went and checked right before I came on this morning. So... Uh, good to know that they are where they need to be. So uh, good morning to the Clicks, the Landers, the Greggs, the Johnsons, the Ayers. Man, we got the whole crew. Uh, the Archers, uh, Cheryl Benefield, good morning. The Janikas, fantastic. <laughs> uh, the McGarveys, that bed will burn. Oh my, I don't know what to do with that. So I'm going to leave that one alone. All right, so if you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10. Uh, to, to keep the handout a reasonable size, it's only eight pages today. Um, I divided up uh, last week's lesson and very likely this week and at least one more week. It could be two. We'll see how far we get today uh, into uh, two different handouts. So this is the second part of The Rich Young Man. Uh, so we will start with our question that we try to ask each week. Uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? 
So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? So be thinking about that question, thinking about what God is doing in you. Uh, we, we do not desire to be uh, teaching God's word purely from an academic perspective, uh, but from a, from a perspective of knowing God so that we can go and do what he would desire us to do, so that we can be faithful to him who is faithful to us. So we'll start with Mark chapter 10. I'll read all the way through Mark chapter 10. Uh, and then, Lord willing, in a few minutes, we'll start with verse 23 and uh, make our way through the middle of Mark chapter 10. So Julie got it, so that's good. That's all that's really important because she'll explain it to me later and that'll be helpful for me. All right, Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house 
or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is those but it is for those who for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. see who else has joined this morning. Uh, Chris on. Good morning, Chris. Welcome. So again, if you've got your handout, uh, I would recommend that you do that. If you don't, you can head over to OurSundaySchool.com, uh, grab that handout, and uh, you'll be able to follow us along this morning. So each of our, our handouts is structured very similarly. Uh, we ask the question, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Uh, we read the text, uh, attempt to walk through and explain uh, the words themselves and how they would mean what they would mean in this historical, geographical, socio-economic environment uh, to help us understand what this was then 
so that we can then understand how to apply what is the uh, what is the the truth that we can see in the scripture and then personalize it toward us as 21st century believers uh, in the United States. I know, by the way, if you're not in the United States, let me know. Uh, we have folks from lots of different states that join and uh, engage with us in our Sunday school and uh, would love to know where you are watching from this morning. So if you wouldn't mind letting us know that. So on our handout, uh, we'll start with verse 23. Uh, so this is the rich young man, part two, uh, as far as the handout is here. So verse 23, and Jesus uh, looked around. And so who is he looking around at, right? So make sure we got our setting. So back at verse uh, 22, uh, he is talking to uh, the rich young man in verses 17 through 22. But in verse 23, we see that the rich young man wasn't the only person in the audience. So verse 23, he looked around and said to his disciples, right, these folks that are following him, uh, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So how difficult. Now, I want to I look at this word, uh, uh, deskalos here, this word for difficult for just a second, uh, because this is an interesting word. Uh, and you, you, might be, you might be thinking, well, Jim, your handout's got an error on it, because if you look at the bracketed information after deskalos, it says it only occurs in 1023. And if you paid attention to when I was reading, Jesus is going to use the word difficult again in verse 24. And I will tell you, this is one of the downsides of doing uh, Bible study the exact way that we are doing it, by counting word counts, by looking at frequencies, is that the duskalos in verse 23 is an adverb. So that's Greek uh, Number 14, Strong's number 1423. The duskalos in verse 24 is a is an adjective uh, down at the bottom of page 328 on your handout. That's uh, uh, Strong's 1422. So if you notice the, the similarity in the numbers there, 1422 is the adjective, 1423 is the adverb, because when you write these out in alphabetical order, which is how Strong's put his uh, numbering system together, uh, they would follow each other, right? So extraordinarily similar uh, word and definition just used as different parts of speech. We, we see this actually several other times with other words that are a bit tougher to catch if you're not actually looking at something that helps you see what the Greek word is. So uh, in this text that we're looking at today. So I'm excited about to get to those as well. Hey, Stephen Archer. Good morning. And Josh is watching from Tennessee, which is kind of where I thought you were watching from. So cool. There's now. All right, so we've got uh, how difficult or uh, impractical, uh, and, and in, <laughs> uh, impracticably is probably not a word that you have used recently. Uh, one of the, again, I, I'll give you two probably really strong downsides to using the, <laughs> strong downsides, uh, to using the approach that we're using. One is I'm using Strong's definitions. And Dr. Strong wrote his definitions a while back, right? Didn't mean they're wrong, just means they're a little old. And he will use from time to time words that we would say perhaps difficultly, uh, differently. Uh, we would use the word impossible instead of impracticably because that's just not something that we say now. Uh, you remember a few months ago, uh, Dr. Strong had a word for greet with uh, to enfold in the arms, right? To enfold in the arm. We, we would say hug, right? Because that's kind of the word that we would use for that. So some of the definitions are a little bit um, older, 
Um, but it's just a good opportunity to increase your vocabulary. So that's the way I view it. All right, so how difficult it will be for those who have, and if you look at that phrase on your handout, it will be for those who have, the big chunk of all that doesn't have any bracketed information after it because there's not really a, uh, a, a Greek word that is corresponding with it will be for those who. Uh, these are words that the translators supply to help us understand what's going on because this is a present active participle. This is a repeated thing. This is a habit. So you could, you could read it this way. How difficult it will be for those who have the habit of wealth, for those who have been wealthy for a long time. Uh, this is not a, a new wealth. This is not the person who just won the lottery. This is somebody who, like, this has been their lifestyle, right? This is somebody who this is normal for them. So how difficult it will be for those who have wealth. Uh, and this is just something that is uh, significant, useful, needed, uh, specifically in the context of what Jesus is referring to. It is, it is far more likely that it is land and physical possessions than actually money. Uh, but we'll, we'll kind of get to some of the justification for that later, probably next week. We touched on it a bit last week, but a little bit more next week. Uh, so how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter. Um, and this is a indicative from Jesus' perspective. So this is a statement of fact, right? So this is not a, well, well you know, maybe. No, 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 it's, it's an indicative. Like this is difficult. It's difficult to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and we know from the context that this is not necessarily the kingdom of God on earth, because Jesus is the king, and where the king is, that's where the kingdom is. Uh, this is, Jesus is referring to this in the next life, the next age, the next time, if you will. So the kingdom of God. So we come to verse 24, and the disciples were amazed. You know, let me put my surprise face on. Right? I mean, this is pretty typical for the disciples to be amazed. Jesus did amazing things. Uh, and in their mind, what they saw and heard, and we see this different times in the Gospels, is rich people putting money into the worship, uh, the, the receptacle for collection, collection of the offerings. And we would see people being amazed at what they did. And it, it gave them a sense of superior spirituality, right? This idea of uh, rich people, it's easier right, to worship God. It's easier to, to give. It's easier to do these things. And Jesus says the exact opposite. So anytime we see the disciples amazed, Jesus is doing something that is opposite of what they were thinking. Uh, th this is actually one of the techniques that we use in, the, in Bible study when we study the epistles, the letters that the apostles wrote to the various churches. You know, when the, when the apostles wrote and called out specific sins, that's a signal that we should pick up on that, hey, this is one of the reasons they wrote this letter to address these issues. So one of the signals that we can pick up on as to far what the disciples actually believed is what they're amazed at, right? So I don't, what was the last thing you were amazed at? Well, that probably was something that confronted a prior belief that you have. And Jesus is trying to confront these really unbiblical beliefs that the disciples have because he's not going to be here uh, in a very short amount of time. All right, so the disciples were amazed. So this imperfect is this something that's repeated. Uh, it's passive. It was something that was done to them, and it's an indicative. This was a statement of fact. So this means to stupefy, which if you wanted a word to describe some of the disciples, sometimes that's a really good word to pick, right? Stupefied. If you want a word to describe us as followers of Jesus, stupefied. <laughs> this is a good word, right? 
Uh, we don't always get it. We're overwhelmed at what God is doing. We don't understand what he is saying. It doesn't fit into the mindset or the philosophy or the framework or the life perspective that we have. And we regularly need God to inject truth into our lives. Hello. Uh, so that we can rightly think as God thinks about things and not as we are apt to think about things. So the disciples were amazed at his words, uh, which I think is um, was great. You know, the Logos has amazing Logos. Uh, and then continuing on this verse, but Jesus said, and this is uh, apocrymai. This is the more, uh, I'm going to give you a sense of what I believe here. Uh, Jesus said to them again, so he's repeating, he does this a lot. Jesus says to them again, uh, children, so this is the word for little child. Um, now, it, it's going to be true that Jesus was older than uh, the apostles. We, we believe most of them uh, were teenagers when they were called. They were still working with their uh, dad in the fishing boats. Uh, Matthew might have been a little bit older. He already had a job as a tax collector. Uh, but most of them would have been uh, teenagers uh, for sure. So children, uh, how difficult, again, this is the didaskalos, uh, is the adjective verb. Uh, and this, again, you see the word impracticable. Uh, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a footnote there uh, at the bottom of page 328, right after the word is. Uh, it's footnote B. So if we look over at the footnotes uh, that show up on page 333 of your handout, uh, the ESV footnote says, some manuscripts add for those who trust in riches. And the idea here is the ESV is showing there are some variants, and we've talked about these before in Sunday school class. We're going to going to hit a big variant at the end of Mark. I'm excited to talk about that in a year and a half-ish, maybe. Um, uh, but there are uh, things that have been inserted into the canon of Scripture over time that weren't in the original. Uh, and folks who dedicate their lives to going and studying uh, both biblical archaeology and uh, textual variants and textual criticism, all these beautiful things that we that we get the benefit of streamlined into a very simple footnote so that the ESV can be clear about, hey, there's another there's other words that that other translations that other uh, Greek manuscripts might have. Uh, but I will tell you the one that we're using is the Nesta Allen uh, 28th edition and those words don't show up in here. So this is the basis for the uh, ESV. Uh, and one of the things that I like about the ESV is that the Nestle Allen 20th edition is the basis for the text, uh, for this, especially the, the New Testament. So back to what Jesus says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he, then we transition to verse 25 and he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I, I can't tell you how many different things I have heard about this verse. And, and I will I will tell you that I, I read a lot about Scripture. I read a lot about uh, how the text has come to us. I read a lot about what the words mean. I study the languages. And um, the best I can tell and the best resources that I have found all indicate that Jesus is taking this moment of stupefaction of the disciples, of their amazement, and he is inserting what very easily could be described as a joke because this is ludicrous, right? How uh, it, it is easier, it is simpler, it is something that is uh, a, the easier of the two options for a camel. Now, 
Put yourself in first century Israel for just a second. What animals exist in first century Israel? So what, what animals do you recall? Be, I'll give you a second to respond here in the, in the Facebook comments. So what animals do you re recall being seen or described in the Gospels? So what animals do you recall being seen or described in the Gospels? I'll give you a couple seconds here to respond. And if Barry says camel, I would slap him virtually. So there's that. We know camels. What else? What other animals are, are described in the Gospels? Thanks, Barry. <clears throat> I was waiting on it. There you go. Yes. So donkeys, right? We've got camels. We've got donkeys. Uh, dogs are actually referenced a couple of times. And I, for those of you that are, are pet people, I'm, I'm sorry, but like dogs are not described as good things. They were super unclean. They were dangerous. They were just, it was not a good thing uh, in Jesus' day. Uh, sheep, that's right. Goats, that's right. Uh, so the sheep are generally regarded as uh, uh Chosen, selected, uh, idiotic, not very intelligent, but but as a, a good connotation. And the goats are generally regarded as the the outsiders, those that uh, that are they're they're not uh, they're going to be separated, right? So we see horses, we see pigs, right? So so some uh, useful animals, some uh, unclean animals, uh, wolves. Yes, absolutely. So we see how Jesus uses. Animals to describe good and bad. Um, yeah, so, so lots of different animals. But which one of all the ones that we've listed so far is the biggest? It's the camel, right? The camel's the biggest animal. And the camel would have been, um, the camel would have been something that would have been the biggest animal that the typical Israelite would have seen on land. So Jesus is intentionally picking a camel because, it's, because of its size. And then he picks something that is very, very small, right? The eye of a needle. So I, I am not a person who sews. Um, my, my fingers are good for Excel and PowerPoint and not for working with a very small thing. Like it's just not, it's not my, my shtick. Uh, we put some Ikea, let me rephrase this, Julie uh, and Caleb put some Ikea cabinets together. We've got some more, um, uh, bookshelves in the, the dining room now. And my part was putting brackets on to hold them together. I drilled eight holes on my own and I put in eight screws with help from Caleb. And that is the, like, that's it. Uh, but what Jesus is doing here is he's taking the biggest animal they're familiar with and really the smallest opening they could be familiar with, the eye of a needle, and saying, it's easier to put a camel through that. So you tell me. How do you put a camel through the eye of a needle? You don't. This is not possible. Right? This is not something that you can do. You're going to need Willy Wonkas uh, like to shrink them down or something here. This is not going to be possible for a man to do. So he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, I'm going to just stop for just a second about this phrase, the eye of a needle. Uh, there are some preachers who like to take liberties with the text and use really awful resources that say things like the eye of a needle 
was a euphemism for one of the gates of Jerusalem. And it was really small and you had to kind of crouch down to get through. And it makes for a great story. The, the problem is there's just no basis in historical uh, geography or archaeology for anything ever being labeled as such. So um, just a, just a, something to be aware of, right? So uh, not everything you hear from the pulpit as it relates to explanations of phrases in the Bible is based in fact, which is one of the reasons that we want to use good resources. We want to use, uh, we want to get this, stay as close to the text as possible, right? So I wanted to make sure we covered that this morning. So uh, yes, uh, small steps, Dave, that's exactly right, small steps. So verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person, a rich person. So the only other time this word is used, this word wealthy in Mark's gospel is 1241. Let's flip over there for a second. 1241. And what do we see? And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. Even in Mark's gospel, there it is, right? The rich people are known for putting in large sums. And putting in large sums was associated with a high degree of spirituality. Come on. <laughs> I mean, what, a, what an awful metric to use to determine spirituality, right? This is ridiculous. All right, so this is the word for rich. Uh, so it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like, well, what do we, like, how do, mm, this seems problematic. Yes, it is. It is very problematic. It's impossible. That's the point. The point is we, say it with me, we can't do this on our own. The universe is not designed in such a way that we can be with God on our own. We need someone to take our place to take the punishment for our sin, to make a way for us to be able to engage with God. And Jesus does that. And he is illustrating. He is knocking down here one more idol that's standing in the way of a right relationship with God. And as he told the rich young ruler to go and to sell everything, that was what was in his way, right? So verse 26, and they were exceedingly astonished. Imagine this, right? He's, he's confronting this with even more and more, and as, is, as Jesus is apt to do, right? So they were exceedingly or super abundantly, this word shows up a couple of times in Mark's gospel, uh, astonished. Uh, it, I, I will tell you, uh, every time this word astonished shows up, this is a beautiful word. If you want to just be astonished at what Jesus does, every time this word astonished shows up in Mark's gospel, it's because of something Jesus has done or said. And I will tell you, as somebody who has been uh, studying the Bible and following Jesus for, uh, what is that now? I have to do the math. Uh, over 35 years, it is easy to become complacent with the miraculous. And God help us if we lose our astonishment of who Jesus is, of what he does, and the message that he brings. Like this is a this is a beautiful prayer to pray. God, help me be astonished with you 
and your works today. Don't let me walk past what you have done, who you are, and not be amazed. Because every time this word astonished is used, uh, expresso, uh, in, in Mark's gospel, it is about Jesus. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So let's be astonished with Jesus. So, uh, and they were exceed they, the apostles here, they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, and again, we've got another footnote. This is another spot where the ESV lets us know there are other Greek manuscripts that say there's a little more. We, we wouldn't say that there actually is. This is the best one that we have. Uh, then who can be saved? Okay, I got to stop here for a second. They have finally asked a spectacular question. This is the question. Well, if it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved, then how does it get done? So, so peel back this question for just a second because we begin to see what the disciples actually believed about salvation. What did they believe about salvation? They believed that wealth could buy you salvation. How You gave because their response to wealth doesn't buy you salvation and actually makes it harder was, well, then how do, like, how do you do it? So please understand that the association of God's blessing through wealth and a high degree of spirituality and or a right relationship with God and or guarantee into heaven, that false theology has been around a very long time. It did not start with the name it, claim it preachers of today. Prosperity theology, this concept that God's goodness expressed through wealth in your life is an indication of your relationship with God is an old, old heresy. And Jesus is about to take care of it. So here we go. So who can be saved? Who, who is... Who, who is it possible? This word for can is the dunamis, is that we get our, uh, the word dunamis, right? This ability, this strength, this power. Who can be sozo? Who can be uh, soteriology? Who, who can be saved? Who can be uh, protected or delivered here? And Jesus looked at them and said, here we go, <laughs> with an indicative. This is the fact coming out. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So I'm going to leave you with a picture and we'll come back to it uh, next week. But this is the preposition circle. And if you are watching this on your phone, you might want to go to OurSundaySchool.com and uh, take a look at this online. But what I want to show you is these are the different uh, Greek uh, prepositions. Now, this is there's a it's a very famous work from uh, Dana and Manti, Emmanuel Grammar, the Greek New Testament, and uh, some some pretty skilled graphic designers at Mount Vernon Grace Brethren Church spiffied it up quite a bit, and they came out with this. Now, the one the word each one of these is a different preposition. Each one of these uh, boxes is a different uh, Greek preposition, and the word that we are looking at is the word uh, para. So, if you look on the right hand side of the graphic the second box down. So this is the word for beside or near or close to. Uh, the word for, your, 
you're not in the thing, you're not over or below or under or with or again, but you are, you're, you're near to it, right? So look at Jesus' words in this verse, verse 27, it says, with man, so near man, this is impossible. Look at the Greek word, a dunitas. So not possible, but not near God. Because when we are near God, we get to see the impossible become possible. Because for Gar, assigning a reason, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Not just some things, all things are possible with God. Even camels going through the eye of a needle, even rich people going to heaven, even disciples with no educational training being able to be followers of Jesus and going on themselves to lead those in the way of Jesus Christ. Even people 2,000 years removed can understand and be called and convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit and come to a saving knowledge through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing, but it's only possible near God. You see, if we tightly align ourselves with man and man's theology, this is not possible. But if we tightly align ourselves with God and God's word and what God's word teaches, with God it is possible. So help us to be amazed at this idea that God does impossible things on a regular basis. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. So we will uh, stop there uh, and we will come back, Lord willing, next week and pick up with, let's see, it's verse 28. So we'll start with verse 28 uh, and, and look and see what Peter says and what Jesus says about what Peter says. And you might be surprised because it's pretty cool. So uh, we will go into a time of prayer. Uh, so if you have any prayer requests, I would encourage you to write those in the comments here. We would love to engage and pray with you for those. Uh, lean in, engage, and pray for somebody who's not with you. And then take an opportunity to worship this morning. Worship the God who does the impossible. The God who uh, regularly does the impossible. Uh, the God who bridged the gap between us and him through himself, by himself. Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if you need any of the resources uh, from today's lesson, I would again encourage you to go to OurSundaySchool.com. You can grab all that stuff there. Uh, you can also watch or listen to old lessons there. Um, last thing, don't forget our uh, homework. Uh, pray, hear, think, talk, share, and invite. And then if you're interested in signing up for our weekly email podcast or YouTube, you can do all that at OurSundaySchool.com. So Lord willing, we'll be back next week looking at Mark uh, 10, 28. And until then, grace and peace to you and be amazed and just overwhelmed with Jesus Christ and the God who does impossible things. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.